James 1, beginning in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. As we begin to examine these words of today's passage, may we keep in mind that each of these scriptures that we've been studying thus far leading up to where we are today, they're all closely knit together, and they are knit together with other verses that we'll continue to study on further in this chapter. And so for that reason, I want us to keep bringing back to mind that which we've learned in uh, earlier messages. And that's especially so considering the words here in verse 18. I want to read those for us. Verse 18 that just preceded our text for today. He tells us that it is of his own will, of God's own will, that he brought us forth, that he begat us by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Now to say that God wants you and me to have more than just a cursory knowledge of him truly is an understatement. He wants you and me to know him, to really know him, to know him intimately, to know his character, and to know his precepts. And it's only then, it's only then that the relationship we have with him will be able to grow and to mature into that which he desires of us. Now here in these words we're told that in our salvation we have been begotten of God. That's a very special thing that God did. That word begotten, he begat us. He begat us. And that was of his own will and not ours. That we would be born again into a whole new being and person. Born again into his family. Are you a whole new person? Let me assure you that if you have Christ as your Savior, you really are a whole new person. A whole new being. Born into his family. And as he's indicating here, becoming firstfruits. You and I become firstfruits, which is a very important word. Because his son, the Lord Jesus, was the very first of the firstfruits. I want us to think about that. We get to be just like his son. We are his sons. Whether you're male or female, we are sons of God, co-heirs with Christ. Let me read some of those scripture verses for us. 1 Corinthians 15. Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. So he was the first to be resurrected. And then each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming those who belong to Christ, us. We get to be first fruits. And then he tells us in Romans 8, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I want you and I to let that continue to sink into this relationship that we have with Christ. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs, co-heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is a reality. It's one that's hard for us to apprehend with our human souls. It's not just hyperbole or exaggeration. It is real. It is very real. And no, we don't get to be as some of the foolish preachers preach. We don't become divinity of some sort, little gods. That's not only foolish, that's heresy. But listen, we do become sons of God, which carries with it benefits and blessings that are far beyond anything we can hope or imagine. And knowing that to be true, our cry ought to continually be, Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. And know that, Lord, I did nothing. I did nothing of my own, my own will or my own character to deserve to be your beloved son. But I am so very, very glad. So very glad that you chose me to be anyway. But then as we read on further, the next verse, so then... No sooner do we begin to realize that all of this is true, that we are now sons, that we find in verse 19 that God has so much more for us, for us as his sons. More is required from us as his sons. We're not hired hands that just show up for work each day. We are part of the family. Sons take responsibility within the family. And here he's showing us that he wants us to begin immediately to move on to the next steps in our relationship with him. To be conformed to this image of Christ that's spoken about so often in these scriptures. Through faith that he put into us during our first moment of salvation, he then begins to make changes within us. You ever wonder why you're different? And as I said a moment ago, you are. I can notice the difference in my life. Do you notice those differences? That's what he's talking about here. He starts to make real changes within our souls, bringing about this completion of the good work that he began in us. That's in Philippians 1. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a promise, but it's also a fact. And that's what he's doing here in this book of James. He's completing this work. We're now sons of God and we need to begin to show it by our character and by our behavior. And God intends to wrought those real and actual changes within us. Sometimes that's by fire and it's painful. But he wants to, and I I like this word wrought, he wants to wrought these real and actual changes within us changes that will make an actual difference in the manner by which we conduct our daily activities of life and our behavior. And He will work His will in us just as we're studying here with the very way that James is describing for us. He's going to do it through this interaction of His words of truth combined with your and my faith, our response of faith. Now in saying this, And in studying these words here in today's text, I want us to clearly understand that God is not just working to correct 
some of the misbehaviors that have been taking place that he observes in our life every day. And he does observe a lot of those misbehaviors. And yes, he is doing that. He is going to correct those. But his purpose is so much deeper, so much more intimately involved. The whole process that God wants to take each of us through ever and always reaches not to just correct your and my behavior. It first and foremost must go to guard and to exemplify his glory. Everything that he does, and consequently then everything that you and I do and that he wants us to do as his sons, must reach for that one purpose first, his glory. Have you thought much about that? Have you thought much about that? He intends his glory to be accomplished through this delicate interaction between his words of truth and our personal responses to his words of truth, some of which we're reading here today. Now, I realize what I'm saying so far might not be especially clear to you, but I pray that it will become clear as, or at least clearer as we study them. Now, follow along with me again these words that I read. Verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, unfortunately, for our finite minds and emotions, we find it very hard to work our way past a particular face of a person who is standing right in front of us, perhaps frustrating us or irritating us in a matter. But while that person is extremely important to God and should always be to us also, they really are not the most important concern for us. That's this point about God's glory. The simple truth is, in every circumstance, if we can first, instead of being caught up with this irritating engagement that we are involved in with this person who's, who is set on having their way in the conversation, our first thought has to somehow be pulled back and said, I first want God's glory to be preeminent. The greatest of concern to me is not whether or not I'm being embarrassed here, being irritated, being told off by this person, but how do we, how do I accomplish God's glory? Recall, one of the very first questions that we learned about God, it is, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? What was the purpose for which God created you and me and that we now exist? Simple answer, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now that's a truth that cannot be ignored or forgotten or put second by the this ever hyperactive nature of our souls, especially my own soul. Everything, every detail of life must first pass through the inspection lenses of God. Let me say that again. Everything, every detail of life must first pass through the inspection lenses of God. It's not a choice that we're allowed to make. 
But we often do. We often do. Everything, every detail of life absolutely will pass through the inspection lenses of God. And He will actually have something to say and to do about everything that takes place in our lives. Can we stop and realize that? I confess to you, I can go for hours during the day and my mind not rest upon God for more than a moment or two at a time. But everything that I'm doing is passing through these inspection lenses of God. And I have a purpose in every one of those things that I miscellaneously did, didn't even think about while I was doing it. But all of them needing to meet these criterion. So as we consider these very common, ordinary occurrences of daily life that God speaks about here, hearing, about hearing and speaking, and especially about our not becoming angry, we really do have to elevate the importance of our response to that level that God regards it to be. He expects that of us. God's not saying to us, well, now that you're a Christian, you'll need to get out there and start being good and doing good things. Especially now, you're going to have to be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. May I assure you that if that is our understanding of what he said, we're we're bound for failure. What God is saying to us is on this whole other level that you and I have to reach to, far above this self-centered understanding and approach of life. As his sons, we need to go to the level that he's on. We need to see and to respond to the reality that he's really intimately involved in any conversation that we have, that we're engaged in, that he has an expectation of us, an expectation that we will first consider his desires and his will and his glory, not only for our own selves in that conversation, but for that person that's on the other side of us there, that person or or persons that we're engaging. And to remember that at that same moment that the Holy Spirit is ministering to our spirit in this conversation, that he's also busily working his works in that other person. Does that ever enter your mind? It seldom enters mine, especially when it's an irritating conversation. And those can take so, place so easily in my life when I'm on a phone call with a disagreeable representative of some service that I thought I was supposed to be able to have and they didn't provide it. I don't think those thoughts, and I want to, and God wants me to. He wants me to know that His Holy Spirit is working in my life to, to bring that conversation to a right conclusion but he's also working in that other person's life whoever it is that I'm criticizing but he's got you and me involved in that conversation for some reason note those words there in verse 20 and I want to repeat myself for clarity the manner in which you and I engage ourselves in a conversation our listening our hearing our speaking and especially any anger that might arise has first to do First and always to do with the holiness, the righteousness, and the glory of God. 
And so then, while we really are trying our best each day to be patient and kind and thoughtful towards those other people, most of the time with limited success, because you and I are sons of God, God is now actually at work within us. We have to somehow capture that understanding. He is working within us, urging us on towards those behaviors that he's talking about here. That he wants to accomplish his purpose in us. And I want to remind us clearly that the work that God's Holy Spirit is doing is usually very different from the work that we're doing. Because too often, again, our efforts get all cluttered up with those old kinds of personal efforts that have always fallen short. Count to ten. That never works. It might slow us down a little bit, but it is not what God's talking about. You don't really see that in Scripture. Thankfully, his efforts have a power within them, spiritual power, far and beyond anything that you and I could ever hope to muster through our own self-centered, self-generated efforts. And what God is speaking into our ears is for us to stop immediately with our wasted efforts and listen for and heed his guidance. I want to say that in another way. From the very first moment of our salvation, we actually begin our new life with everything that we need for life and godliness. That's one of those words of truth that he just spoke about here. He gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. We have Christ's righteousness that has been imputed into our souls. In other words, he actually put his righteousness within our souls at that moment that we were saved. And then he tells us here in the scripture that we read today that his words of truth have been implanted into us. So we have everything that we need. We're without excuse. And so all we have to do then is submit to surrender our personal thoughts and efforts over to the abiding presence and direction of the Holy Spirit and to his leading. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Been studying these a lot here recently. There he reminds us, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So you have this conversation that has suddenly you're engaged in. He's saying, listen, you have everything you need for the right responses. Now listen to the Holy Spirit. He says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. He'll direct words that you need to be saying. And then in the very next verse after this, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, verse 7, he gives us a simple reminder. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Now one would think that that should be a relatively easy response, but it isn't. Not in those real-time, immediate moments of a conversation, but it is absolutely essential that we do it. And we really don't have to wonder about the steps that we're to take, his words of truth that he's giving us here, even today. With them, we know exactly what we ought to be doing. The only thing then that's left for us is to humbly give up being wise in our own eyes. How often I have been wise in my own eyes. He wants me to give that up. He wants you to give that up and instead to follow exactly what the Holy Spirit is whispering into your ears at the time. And I want to convince you and me that he does that 
We are just so busy talking. We are so busy being irritated that we can't hear the Holy Spirit. Now, yes, he does want our free will efforts and responses to be involved. He wants us to exercise our will to do his will. John chapter 7 tells us that. But that is an ever so delicate mixture. And you and I have to be cautious about that, how we intermix our free will into his perfect will. We usually do what I mentioned a moment ago. We become wise in our own eyes and our free will travels that path. Let me say that for myself, I know that I need to stop my habit of thinking too quickly and coming up with too quick a response. God wants me to first consider, listen, very important. He wants me to first consider that he has put me into this special circumstance for a reason. It didn't just happen. He has put me in that special circumstance for a reason. He's put me personally in that conversation with that person. Not someone else, me. And I have to stop and understand that he already has an answer for me and for that other person. I don't need to think up a solution. He'll guide me in that. He already has all of that taken care of. And I have only to follow the direction that's given here in his word. Be patient and listen first to the person there in front of me. And then to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit. And listen, and then I am guaranteed that my conversation will turn out exactly the way that God wants it to turn out. And he'll be glorified in the process. I'm to be careful to listen, really listen. To be quick to hear. Recall the verses there in Matthew 13. I quoted them in an earlier message where the Lord speaks about hearing they do not hear. Seeing they do not see. That's one of the major failures that we have, both with God and with other people. We hear, but we don't hear. We see, but we don't see. Too often, again, as someone comes to us and begins to explain themselves without our first taking the time to listen to them, to hear them out, we very quickly make up our mind and begin at least to shut out the rest of what they're saying to us. And then as soon as we can get a word in, we begin to spout out our own thoughts and our own opinions. And that's wrong. God is saying to us, peace, peace, be still and know that I am God. I have answers for you. I have answers for that other person. And all you have to do is be quiet and hear me. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Once again, as we learned in the first verses of this book of James, God is exercising and he is testing our faith in this matter. Are we willing to just hold back and listen, quick to hear what that person is saying to us? Don't start getting angry. That is, again, what we learned just a few verses earlier. He's testing our faith and he's exercising our faith stretching it sometimes to its limits, saying there is more here involved in this conversation. It is my glory and you have to guard my glory. You have to 
not hurt my glory through your conversation, through your quick to anger. May I say to us, as with these instructions here in verse 19, when your faith is really real, you will begin to hear, really hear that other person and also above all else, the Holy Spirit. God will make sure of that. If your faith is real, you'll find yourself able to follow on through with these next steps. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And again, always the first concern is to do the will of God, that we glorify Him. Can we start asking ourselves that at the beginning of the conversation as we have this person in our face can we say, Lord, how can I glorify you in this conversation with my responses and my behavior? He tells us very clearly in verse 20, for the anger of man, for your anger, your anger, my anger, does not produce the righteousness of God. You might have gotten in the last word. That other person may not have been able to be as nasty to me as I was to him because he's trying to still sell me a service. I have no excuse for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now there's so much more that needs to be said in these matters. But we haven't the time today. And hopefully we'll talk about it some more when we continue the next time. Let me read these verses again. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let's pray.